0: Hey guys and welcome back to another episode of the Mind Yourself podcast with myself here and Christy. Um, So today we're going to be talking about obviously given um, the last um, pretty much year we've all experienced with COVID and everything else I'm sure on the tip of our tongue every day is how stressed we are all um, these days. So today myself and Christy are going to have a little bit of a chat around stress, what it is and uh, what it means for us and the different ways it impacts us. So um, So just starting off, Christy, just to kind of get the ball rolling, uh, it'd be great. Can you just give me a bit of background as to what stress really is?
1: Okay, Um, I'm going to start this by priming it, saying that um, this is something that I've learned throughout my education, but I will not say at all that I'm an expert on stress. Um, But it is really, really important to understand stress, to understand psychology and mental health. And so answering your question, um, stress is our body and brain's reaction to a challenge. Um, And basically, it's really important because it is the one major factor that links physical health with mental health, whereby the hard scientists the um the ones into physics that biology and chemistry will argue that basically psychology is a bit airy fairy like what do you think what do you feel you can't objectively measure that but stress is the one aspect of psychology that you can objectively measure like you okay. can basically look at the body specifically and look at the physiological reaction to something and so it's really really important for that um and so explaining exactly what stress is Um, you're going to be coming back to old school biology here. Okay. Um, Back
0: to the good leaving cert days. Yes,
1: exactly. Um, so I'm going to explain this as simple as possible that I hope everybody can understand, but it's still kind of complicated. Um, so so stress basically activates a part of the brain known as the hypothalamus. Um, and this in itself is a gland. So what I mean by a gland is it's something that re- or an organ sorry um is an organ or a gland is something that releases hormones and hormones basically okay. make our body work um so this hypothalamus um is an organ and it releases basically it activates uh the pituitary gland which is then in, also in the brain and then uh the pituitary gland then activates the sympathetic nervous system so we have two <laughs> nervous systems <laughs> Yeah, and give a biology lesson. Uh, we have a the we have the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. So okay. basically, the sympathetic nervous system is what dilates pupils. It's what inhibits saliva. It accelerates the heartbeat. It stops digestion. It stimulates adrenaline and epine- or an epinephrine, and it stimulates um, basically the whole body to get ready to fight or flight. This is the process okay. used for fight or flight.
0: Yeah, that uh, was what I was about to ask. I was like, when you said it's response to a challenge. Is that like what we say about fight or flight? Yeah. So this, so this is a historical reaction that we would have had ingrained in us almost as a safety mechanism as much as anything else.
1: Yeah. So basically it's just getting our body. So going back to it, um, starts in the hypothalamus, hypothalamus, uh, stimulates then the pituitary gland, which then activates the sympathetic nervous system which the pituitary gland is basically um, the messenger from your brain to the rest of your body, to all the uh, glands and all the um, organs in your body. And then, for example, one of these organs are, is the uh, adrenal gland, which then releases adrenaline or um, non-adrenaline. And this is an important n- note for everybody to know because I didn't know this for years. Um, adrenaline and non-adrenaline and epinephrine and n- neuropinephrine the same things. Uh, So adrenaline and epinephrine are basically two types of hormones that um, just one, uh, there was a group of researchers in the UK who called it adrenaline and there was a group of researchers in America who called it epinephrine. And they've continued to basically use it differently, which really confuses things even though they're the same thing. Um, But anyway, so again, (laughs) going back to try and picture this. Okay. Hypothalamus. Yeah, Basically sends, uh, is stimulated and a hormone known as, um, I'm not even going to try and pronounce this, but uh, CRH, so corticotropin releasing hormone, then goes to okay. the pituitary gland, which then mm-hmm. activates uh, another hormone known as ACTH, also known as corticotropin. And then this basically activates all the relevant glands or all the relevant organs in the body. Um, And then this releases hormones throughout the body. And then all the effects happen, like I mentioned, which is the sympathetic nervous system. Does
0: that make sense? So, okay, so to kind of like just simplify that to make sure I get that clear. So basically some scenario takes place. You either see it, hear it, whatever the actual cause of the stress takes place. Your body then, Reacts to that by knocking this um, gland called the hypothalamus in your brain, kicks off, which then sends a message to your pituitary gland.
1: Which is also in the brain. Which is what? Which is also in the brain, the pituitary gland.
0: Which is also in the brain. So, those two glands in the brain react to the scenario that you're experiencing, which then sends the message to your body to make that stress reaction. That can come in many forms. It can be, as you said, pupils dilating, could be sweat glands, maybe. Is that probably one of them? Perfect. Your hair standing up on the back of your neck. Um, You know, aches and pains, all those kind of things that we associate with stress.
1: And the important message here is that um, what people used to think was, is that the body worked independent, but this basically just, this hypothalamus emphasizes this idea that the brain itself is the master organ, like Mm. it doesn't work without the brain. And this was actually, this is quite new, like it was only discovered in the 1970s that uh, the hypothalamus is actually a gland or it's an organ in itself. Uh, There was two guys, um, one French guy called uh, Guillaume, and then there was another guy called Shally, and these two hated each other. They were researchers trying to prove this. So they ended up in this mad race to try and basically prove um, that the hypothalamus or within the brain, that the brain itself is an organ and it's not the pituitary gland. um, And they ended up eventually... Like, they really hated each other, but they ended up sharing the Nobel Prize because they essentially proved it something like three weeks in between. Um, Wow. And, like, this goes back to the idea, for example, there was an explosion of this idea that you could get new testes, for example, to uh, inject testosterone into your body so that you never aged, for example, or you could always remain extremely masculine. Okay. But... There was actually research done that proved that even if you inject yourself with testosterone, it still doesn't change the mechanisms of the body because it's not your testes themselves that are responsible for the release of testosterone um, in the body, but it's actually the hypothalamus in the brain and you can't change the hypothalamus. So it's always the brain that's in control of all these hormones that are released throughout the body and the brain is what controls the stress response essentially.
0: OK, interesting. OK, so when we say stress, this is another thing I want to understand is, is stress considered an emotion? So when I say I am stressed, is this just a biological reaction to a scenario? Is it an emotion? What, what is actually stress? Um, what, what is it?
1: This is an ex- excellent question because like even like, for example, there's a stressed emoji, um, which would indicate that it's an emotion. But when you Google is stress an emotion, it doesn't actually answer the question. Me okay. personally, I don't think it is. I think it's basically just the reaction of your body and your brain to a challenge. I don't yeah. think it's an emotion in itself. Um, and there's
0: probably an emotion attached to that. So you could be, you know, you might feel a number of emotions in that experience, but it's more of a bodily reaction rather than an actual, like, emotion you ex- you feel.
1: Yeah. Um. And like, there's, of course, similarities. Like, for example, with anxiety, that's CRH, that CRH, um, the hormone that your hypothalamus releases first, um, mm. that has links with stress, but it also has links with anxiety, for example, that mm-hmm. if you can basically, it activates anxiety and it activates stress. But I would say going back to what you were talking about earlier is it's the mechanism that basically stimulates that fight or flight response that goes back to our ancestors. It basically prepares our body to get ready to do something, but I still wouldn't describe it as an, emo- an emotion. It's more the mechanism behind Behind possible emotions. That makes sense.
0: Okay. Yeah, so like that that's that's what I find quite interesting, and going back to what you just mentioned about this fight or flight. So I suppose when you when we look at all emotions, and you've you've said this before in previous podcasts and in other places, how all our emotions are ancestral kind of experiences that have been brought up through the generations due to experience with certain environmental things. So in this case, it's not an emotion, but Stress was a mechanism to respond to certain threats or situations that our ancestors experienced. Now, the reason I think this is interesting, this topic is something I'm really interested in getting more into, is the fact that, you know, in the past, that fight or flight response was relevant because, you know, if our ancestors came across a threat, a tiger, a lion, whatever it was, it was important to have that kind of initial reaction. But nowadays, it almost seems like, you know, and it comes from, you know, when you look up and I looked up today on my phone as in all the phrases to describe how you're stressed. And like, it's like in the English language alone, the amount of different ways you talk about being stressed, like I've lost the plot. There's now a spanner thrown in the works. I'm, br- I'm at breaking point. Um, I'm, It's doing my head in all those phrases. Like there's a million ways to describe your stress. So it seems like in the 21st century, there's so many more things that put us at that level of stress that the actual stress reaction is almost a constant at times now, which surely can't be good for our mental health because, I mean, in the past, it was a, a short-term reaction to a scenario where it seems like we're all at a low level, particularly in 2020. Um, we were and in, in going into this coming year with, uh, with all the kind of COVID situation. But it seems like is, that can't be a good thing that we have that stress reaction on a more kind of continual
1: basis. So... um it's two points to make there. Um, firstly, I'm going to refer um, if people are interested in stress, the best author undoubtedly you can read is called he's called Rob Sapolsky. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's the head of psychology in Yale, but this guy is brilliant like he's he's interesting to read. Um, one of his main books is called uh, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. And this relates to the point you're making in that, like, every animal has stress, like, every animal has this fight or flight response. Like, for example, the zebra, when it's being attacked by a lion, has the fight or flight response. So it has the same stress response as humans do. But where this is different is that because humans have the ability to think ahead and plan, their stress response is also sensitive to anticipated stress of this possibility of something happening. And, um, I always find the, um, the point interesting that humans are the only animals that have the ability to think, but they're also the only animals that kill themselves. I, I do think obviously that's impossible to prove, but I do think there's a correlation there. Um, and I also do think. So
0: is this, so that's not been proven, but that's just a theory that are humans are the only animals to kill themselves. But I suppose, as you said, how do you prove that another animal hasn't? It's very hard to do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, but. It relates then to stress as well in that like so basically we can create anticipatory stress. Um and that's why zebras don't get ulcers and we do. We have now developed specific responses and dangerous physical and mental health responses to this anticipatory stress of uh disanticipatory stress. Um and I'm after losing my frame of thought <laughs> there. Um, The other important point I want to make is I feel like stress is is a really, really interesting topic because people know, for example, they know their basics, like they know that like stress can lead to like heart attacks or they can lead to ulcers or they can lead to um, like diabetes. But I also don't think people are aware of what's what stress does what it stops like for example how it can basically stop your uh your ability to reproduce so sexual reproduction or like how it stops um like weight gain or metabolism which can lead to weight gain um i don't think people know this enough and i do Mm. think it's really really important um which is why we're having this discussion and we've already discussed this but it can be something that we can talk about for weeks possibly um, yeah, but we'll try and minimize it um, to a few. And keep
0: it kind of tangible and easy to understand. But I, th- I think that's interesting how you said that. Um, so basically the way this anticipatory stress, which is an interesting uh, concept, but is basically how because we can imagine, we imagine negative situations and therefore preempt them and therefore stress about them before they even happen. Whereas an animal, say like a zebra, um, actually only gets those stress reactions in the moment when the incident actually occurs. So we're actually extending the potential stress we can experience basically as a negative to having an imagination, which in a lot of cases might be seen as a good thing. But um, that is an interesting, And I mean, my hope from this conversation and if we do have further conversations is that people will come away with understanding stress a little bit more and how it's caused. Um, and particularly, um, you know, then how to deal with it and ways to maybe overcome it, and just understanding a little bit more around the research around it. Because as I said, it's something we say a lot. It's something we we all we throw away comment. I'm stressed, this, that, and the other. But we all have experienced stress in different ways. So that would be kind of my hope from the conversation. That we can weed out some of that research and
1: make it a little bit more digestible for people. I suppose. Yeah. Um, so. I, I think this is the best way to do it. Um, So I'm just going to repeat it again. Uh, I, know, I know some people won't want to hear it, but basically the process is uh, hypothalamus, pituitary gland, and then two um, other organs in the body, particularly okay. the adrenal gland, which releases. And each of these glands in different parts or each of these organs in different parts of the body, they essentially... um they release different hormones and this is where it gets complicated because there's so many different types of hormones. Like most mm. people only think of uh, adrenaline, for example, with stress. But for example, there's antidiuretic hormone, which stops us needing to pee when we're feeling oh, yeah. stressed. I remember or, that from school. Yeah. <laughs> or there's, uh, for example, like you have your estrogen, your testosterone, which is related to sexual reproduction, for example. Um, and then you have your endorphins. So when somebody is in, uh, is stressed, in a, st- in a majorly stressful situation they feel less pain for example that's why uh, a soldier in war could get shot and they mightn't even feel it. The reason why is because endorphins are released when we're um, in a stressful uh, situation and so we mm. don't feel pain as much and there's there's loads like I could go on like glucogens another one or like um, as I mentioned glucocorticoids, epinephrine norepinephrine or yeah. adrenaline as I said there's lots mm. and lots of different hormones released. So-
0: And what's interesting about that is, though, as well, and an interesting thing to understand is stress isn't necessarily always like stress in the English language is often uh, assumed as a negative, and we use stress as a negative term. But as you said, some of these stress reactions and like responses are actually responses that are meant to help us in situations where it's required. So stress isn't always a negative thing, it's actually a bodily reaction that is
1: there to help us. 100% 100% Um, and we'll talk more about this later but there's this term known as eustress which is this idea of there's an optimum level of stress you don't want no stress in your life Um, mm. y- you need so like as I mentioned there's the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system so the sympathetic nervous okay. system is what basically like speeds up our heartbeat and like basically stops um like digestion happening and like it's when we're in a stressful situation the parasympathetic nervous system is then when we're sleeping And this is for like recovery and stuff like that. But like if you're only activating your parasympathetic nervous system, that's not healthy either. Um, A really good way to remember this, how I always remembered it is, um, and this is why breathing is so important. When you breathe in, you're activating your sympathetic nervous system. And when you breathe out, you're activating your parasympathetic nervous system. Um, And that's why uh, meditations, so many of them are based on this idea because you're trying to activate both systems. Um, It's because it's about balancing them.
0: So your parasy- your parasympathetic nervous <laughs> sympathetic. system sympathetic <laughs> so so the parasympathetic of, yeah. n- nervous system is responsible for all the
1: bodily reactions that you don't actively control. So um, no, I wouldn't say that um, because it's a lot okay. like there's stuff that are under our control and not under our control. But this parasympathetic nervous system is basically based on this recovery or uh, restoring your body. So okay, yeah, okay, that makes sense. just like sleep, basically, like the like when we're asleep, the parasympathetic nervous system is all that's activated, but if we're woken up unexpectedly uh because of something dangerous, our sympathetic nervous system will basically turn on and then this will activate the stuff like adrenaline and glucocorticoids. okay,
0: so the parasympathetic sympathetic, sympathetic, sympathetic like nervous th- like
1: the emotion, yeah
0: okay, so parasympathetic nervous system is responsible for the recovery aspect. And the sort of like you know recharge, and the sympathetic nervous system is around kick starting and fight or activating all those kind of responses, that fight or flight response.
1: Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. Um, and then yeah, so as you mentioned, like we 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 need both. Like um, we we do need stress. Like we we need to activate those hormones around our body every so often. Like it is important, and we are we can still be exposed to dangerous situations. So we do want our sympathetic nervous system working as well. Um, cool. So, it's, it's not about having one or the other. It's about balancing both. That's the important yep. thing. But as you mentioned, particularly today, the biggest problem now is that the um, sympathetic nervous system is probably overactivated. And this is why there's been this explosion of. And um, we
0: don't get enough of the parasympathetic nervous system. We're not probably sleeping properly. We're not recovering properly. We're not doing the things that are meant to recharge that system.
1: Yeah. And so this then increases the risk of, for example, the biggest one, cardiovascular disease, is the biggest killer, like heart attacks, for example. And this is mainly because of stress.
0: Yeah. So I think a nice place to kind of go from here. So that's kind of a nice, kind of high level of what stress is and where it comes from. But I think it'd be nice to kind of start that conversation because this is where I think people are going to get value out of is understanding those bodily reactions because they're the things that we're actually going to experience, be it, like, as you said, cardiovascular was the first one. We could probably start there. Understanding that the role of the stress response on that and then, you know, what we need to be aware of that can maybe actually help us, you know, prevent cardiovascular um, illnesses and things like that, um, I think um, would be one that's actually a tangible thing people can take away. So let, let's start there. Like, cardiovascular, how does that fit into that stress Chain when you go from your brain to your adrenaline glands to then into your um, actual organs
1: Okay so this is actually quite straightforward and it's something that I think everybody should know Um, So give me a stressful situation that you might have that is is reasonable
0: That is reasonable Yeah (laughs) Um, The day before an exam and you haven't studied enough
1: Perfect okay so you're under stress then so you're thinking about the exam. Basically, what happens is your hypothalamus activates. It then se- sends yeah. the hormones to the pituitary gland, which then sends uh, hormones then to the uh, adrenal glands, and then adrenaline, um, adrenaline and glucocorticoids are released from the uh, thing. And then our heart is beating faster. Our eyes restrict, for example, and uh, our body might stiffen up. All these automatic responses. Now, that's okay, as we mentioned. That's not the issue. Like, for example, that might drive us on then. Okay, I need to study more. So you might go study. But the problem is, if this is on all of the time, if after the exam, once you finish, your parasympathetic nervous system doesn't activate again, but your sympathetic nervous system's just thinking about the next exam then and your stress response mm. is on all of the time. Because what happens is when that's turned on all of the time, there's constantly those hormones going around your body basically um like getting ready for a stressful situation even though there's no end to it so there's more blood flow going around the body and so the body is amazing in that it reacts to this heavy blood flow all of the time so it basically tickens its arteries walls so it basically tickens to prepare for the increased blood flow but the problem is there's some miscommunication there because as the artery walls thicken your heart then thinks oh our body needs more blood. So there's more blood being pumped out. And then what could end up happening then is there's more blood coming into the heart as opposed to going out. And what happens then is this imbalance of blood coming into the heart can then cause irregular heartbeats. Does that make sense? Wow.
0: That's um, uh, <laughs> such a fascinating, like, like mis- m- miscommunication and like actually how it then biologically results and this
1: of course is then high blood pressure as well so like um hypertension now as i mentioned like anybody involved in medicine is probably laughing at me now because i've explained that incredibly simplistically (laughs) but um but that's (laughs) the whole point of this yeah um so that's one thing that happens which leads to higher blood pressure the second thing that happens is then because there's more blood being rushed around the body um the artery walls are more likely to be like damaged due to wear and tear mm. so um uh, blood vessels are more likely to be cut and then this can also be dangerous then but this also then has a knock on effect cuz what ends up happening then is the body starts trying to send stuff like um like platelets to deal with the wear and tear to like recover okay and um, then what ends up happening is and there's also lots of nutrients and stuff flying around the body because in the stress um in the stress response digestion turns off so for example the nutrients taken in from food are not being processed um so they're kind of just floating around the body as well and then all of this crud can then combine and get stuck in an artery which creates arteriosclerosis which is basically like a clog blood in class. your blood yeah and then this of course can then lead to um oh I should mention as well this obviously excited people because um, what happened was uh, doctors and researchers started looking at these different parts of crud that can get stuck, and this led to the explosion of cholesterol, because one of these ad uh, things that can get stuck is cl- is cholesterol, and that's why if you probably remember when we were growing up, people were saying oh cholesterol is really really bad, and like every ad was saying low cholesterol. Yeah. When it turns out that it's actually not a very good measure at all of um of getting heart attacks or heart disease, um, really, because there's good there's good cholesterol and there's bad cholesterol um which I suppose we'll talk more about when we talk about digestion, but um, but that crud is what we call cholesterol, or it isn't? No, no, it's just one certain type of that crud. For example, ah, there's lots okay. of different types. Um what seems to be a far better measure of heart attack is something known as C-reactive protein. And this is very hot at the moment. Um, because Ooh, what, what happens protein. is um, when blood vessels are damaged, the C-reactive protein is basically created in the liver and it goes to the damaged cells. So if somebody is, ha- okay. is showing high C-reactive protein, that means that they obviously have high levels of hypertension and high levels of uh, of like cut blood vessels, which then increases your risk of having a heart attack. Because again, going back, what ends up happening is when all those arteries get clogged up, uh, you then increase the risk of having a stroke or having a myocardial infarction. Um, And then particularly, if you clog up specifically the coronary artery, then Mm -hmm. you're going to have a myocardial infarction, which is essentially a heart attack. Um, Okay. And then this can obviously lead to chest pain like angina then anytime you have a stressful situation because they're being clogged then. And so the okay. best way to break it down then, just trying to summarize it is, uh, yeah. it's three things. It's the firstly the increase of blood pressure because you're constantly, if you're constantly stressed, your blood pressure skyrockets. So that can cause irregular heartbeats as well because of the imbalance of what's going in the blood. It can tear blood vessels and it can endanger blood vessels and then it can also lead to these blockage of blood vessels through arteriosclerosis. And okay. that is why stress is so detrimental to our heart or why it can cause heart attacks.
0: So, Christy, uh, earlier on you were mentioning when you were talking about the heart about how digestion gets impacted and um, almost... Um, held back during um, stressful situation when your body goes under stress. Do you want to go a bit more into how maybe stress impacts digestion specifically?
1: Yeah, so I think a good place to start with this is talking about metabolism. So metabolism is basically how your body uses energy or how it manipulates um, the food we intake or the nutrients we intake and turn it into energy. So basically what happens is there's hormones in the body, particularly insulin, uh, which is secreted by the pancreas. So it's in, um, insulin is the hormone that basically makes our cells store the energy or the food we take in as energy. Um, and it's quite smart in that it stores excess energy or excess nutrients to make sure that we don't, um, that we can use it at a later time when we're feeling stressed. And uh, I'm going to take from Ra- Rob Sapolsky again by using the money analogy he uses in that picture, like um, we have money stored away in a bank account. And so these are the cells. These are the nutrients in the cells. Now, when we're under stress, uh, what, happened is, what happens is we take money out of the bank account, essentially. And that's okay because sometimes we have emergencies and we need to take money out of the bank account. But the problem Mm -hmm. is, is that if we're constantly under stress, like what we've spoken about, you end up taking money out of, um, the bank account fully and it becomes bankrupt. And what this, what this analogy, um, translates to is this is fatigue. This is when we feel tired all of the time because we have no energy in ourselves and on top of this, what also happens is when there's no when the cells aren't taking in energy because stress has turned off that system you just have pieces of fat and glucose circulating in the bloodstream and and then what ends up happening then is that arteriosclerosis that we talked about okay uh, but also uh, it also increases the risk of diseases like diabetes
0: okay and i mean i think um, when it comes to diabetes you no know, That's a major thing a lot of people don't really understand. You know, some of it is impacted by our diet and our lifestyle and some is impacted by other things. How do we kind of, you know, what type of diabetes or how is it kind of tied to stress?
1: Yeah, so most people know there's two types of diabetes. There's type 1 and type 2. So type 1 diabetes is basically when the immune system thinks that the cells in the pancreas, so as I mentioned, the pancreas secretes insulin, which allows Mm -hmm. the cells to take in nutrients, Um, the immune system in this case for type 1 diabetes essentially attacks the pancreas to stop producing insulin. And so if there's no insulin in the bloodstream, what happens is the cells don't take in the nutrients, so it just stays floating around. And again, this increases the risk of atherosclerosis. This is also known as juvenile diabetes because this generally happens at an early age. And it increases the risk of um, people developing stroke, and in some cases, actually, actual blindness if the blood vessels in the oh, eye that. are the ones that are subject to getting caught. Um, and so, to overcome this, as lots of people are aware, we they get in people with this disease get insulin injections. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is, if we get too much insulin, this can also deprive the brain of oxygen, and so this intake has to be exact, and that's why. Diabetes is such a, an inconvenient um, disease. And what stress does for people with this disease is basically it speeds up the process in which the immune system attacks the pancreas. Okay. So it basically speeds up the, the the disease. And then you have type 2 diabetes. And this involves basically um, rather than the immune system attacking the uh, the pancreas, what happens here is the cells are just unable to ta- respond to the insulin. Mm-hmm. So they're just ignoring them. And the reason why this is, is because the cells are completely full. Okay. So picture like, it's like a hotel room and the insulin's trying to tell, okay, we have these guests come in and the cells are like, no, we're full. We can't take any more. Okay. So what ends up happening then is it just floats around. And the okay. reason why these are full, and this is why this has been uh, phrased as an epidemic is because of obesity on the rise in Western societies, because we're taking in so much food and so much fat that the cells are essentially full and then they can take in the nutrients from other stuff, which then uh, increases the risk of type 2 diabetes. And then what's really dangerous about this is it this, incre- this then leads to the pancreas releasing even more insulin because it's like, why aren't they taking the insulin? So it increases the insulin and then as a result, okay. it eventually burns out and then this increases the risk of people with type 2 diabetes developing type 1 diabetes. If that makes sense.
0: And I suppose the... This gives us a this is another thing where we go back where, you know, stress mightn't be necessarily the only cause of a certain disease, but it exacerbates something. And as you've mentioned, how obesity is on the rise, it means that the risks of high levels of stress on top of that obesity problem that we have is only further exacerbating the potential health risks we could have later in life.
1: Yeah. And what's interesting too is like type 2 diabetes is so much higher in Western worlds. So like in the US and uh, the UK, like okay. levels are far higher than compared to like Africa and Asia, for example. And that's
0: diet related.
1: Yeah, completely. Yeah. Okay.
0: And are there other areas that um dietary or digestion or, you know, digestion metabolism areas that are impacted potentially by stress or anything to be aware of?
1: Yes, so I suppose a big one, and then this ties in nicely with the diabetes, is stress eating. Um, okay. like lots of people talk about when they're stressed that they'll eat far more. Mm. So what happens here is when people are stressed, they can be hyperphagic or they can be uh, hypophagic. Um, okay. So hyperphagic is when they eat more and hypophagic, and this does happen about 30% of the population, is when they're stressed they actually eat less. And what's happening here is that um, the hormone which I mentioned earlier, CRH, which is released by the hypothalamus, that actually stops uh, appetite, but only in the short term. So because we're dealing with like this major stressor, it's kind of trying to minimize that, um, minimize everything in the body to focus on the stressor. So what actually happens then is afterwards, To make up for the loss of nutrients, uh, appetite, which is um, stimulated through hormones like uh, ghrelin and leptin, uh, it basically then pushes you to want to eat more. So it increases your appetite. Mm -hmm. And what the research actually found is the appetite is actually food specific, whereby we're more attracted to starchy or sugary or fatty foods. So like that's why we will prefer have jambons and sausage rolls as opposed to fruit uh, when we're stressed. Um, and th- the difference then between this hyperphagic and this hypophagic is that it depends on the stressor but the problem is within this society mm. we're particularly focused on immediate stressors so short burst immediate stressors okay. and as a result that's why people prefer this hyperphagic that's why they get hungrier because rather than just one long big stressor it's different stressors throughout the day and that causes us to secrete more and Ah. also then increases sugar cravings.
0: Wow, okay. And, I mean, what's interesting, and I think, again, you know, in a case back to something you mentioned before, around the zebras don't get ulcers, Um, I know ulcers is one that's often tied to stress, Uh, and why? I don't really understand. Why why would stress have anything to do with ulcers in your stomach?
1: Yeah, so um, what's actually interesting is um, ulcers are actually, despite what most people believe, they're not actually caused by stress. Um and this was uh, proven by a researcher known as Barry Marshall. Um, and this is actually a crazy story. He basically theorized that um ulcers were caused by a bacteria rather than stress, because the always the belief was that was it was caused by stress. Mm-hmm. And he basically got laughed out of um, conferences when he was theorizing this. Um, the reason being is we all have acid in our stomach, hydrochloric acid. Yeah. And if a, bacter- a bacteria couldn't survive in our stomach, it wouldn't be possible. But so to prove them wrong, what he actually did was he actually drank a bottle of this uh, bacteria known as uh, Helicobacter pylori. And okay. basically, to prove it, and he got severely sick. Um, and the bacteria existed in his stomach. So, um, he, d- did pro- he stay
0: alive? He obviously stayed alive to finish the study.
1: Yeah, he, he, he just got very sick. Um, wow, that's and so commitment. Now, that's
0: commitment to his research.
1: <laughs> um, and so now, when you get a an ulcer, um, in your stomach you will be treated with um, antibiotics um, always. Okay. Because it's a bacteria, and so antibiotics basically reverse the effects. And is it the stress um, just kind of
0: encourages the bacteria to act in your stomach is that kind of basically what it is exactly
1: yeah that's what is happening so it's not that stress doesn't have any role to play it basically obviously makes it a lot worse or it accelerates the effect of the bacteria Mm -hmm. Uh, but stress is not the cause as we would have spoken about with a lot of these physical health symptoms and
0: i'm sure that's the same for other things you often hear digestion things that are tied to stress be it diarrhea ibs all those other kind of digestion aspects it's not necessarily the stress that's causing it, but it's a stress that's exasperating something already. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So, um, with diarrhea, um, I advise whoever's eating to stop, um... Basically, so as I mentioned, when somebody's stressed, the digestive system essentially shuts down because that's not what we don't need to digest food when we're trying to run away from somebody trying to kill us, for example. Mm. It's not the time. So everything stops. So the stomach stops. We stop salivating. There's no enzymes or digestive acids uh, being secreted. The small intestine stops uh, Like every Nothing is absorbed. Nothing happens. Um, okay. And so basically when that happens... Um, we need large amounts of water uh, for digestion to keep the food in solution uh, to break down and the large intestine. But what happens then is the large intestine needs to take that water back. So that's why when we poo, our poo is solid because it takes back the water. Okay. But because the digestive system has been shut off, the water isn't taken back. And so the leftovers continue moving through the intestine and so what mm. happens then, of course, is we experience diarrhea, which is why it's liquidy and watery. <laughs> um, who, knew, and then, who knew that
0: on a mental health conversation you could get talking
1: about poo? But it's but it's because it's relevant, because people often experience yeah. diarrhea when they are stressed. Um, yeah. But another thing as well that's important to note is, if the digestive system stops, a common question is, then why do people shit themselves? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there, and, the reason why is because once it's been basically once it's after reaching the final stage of digestion even if the digestive system turns off the poo has still been created or still being needs produced to get in flushed the out digestive system and yeah so if you have somebody chasing you trying to kill you the idea behind it is that you want as le- as less body weight as possible and so obviously the uh Feces is holding you back So that's why uh, people will shit themselves When they are That's a
0: very practical way to look at it I've never thought of shit I shit myself That phrase when you're scared or whatever As being so practical But yeah I suppose that actually makes sense It would uh, make you a little bit lighter
1: And then This of course If this continues on for a long period of time This is I wouldn't say a cause But it could be a factor related then to IBS uh, Irritable irritable bowel syndrome Mm -hmm. So Irritable bowel syndrome is essentially when the colon uh, is being too contractile. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this increases the risk of diarrhea. So uh, it's related in that stress. It's not solely responsible for IBS, but uh, it does play a role in the development of it.
0: Okay, interesting, interesting. Um, I think quickly just kind of moving on. Uh, and I think given the world we're in now in a in a pandemic kind of world and things like that, I know immune system is a huge a hot topic for everyone and how can they make their immune system better and I know there's different quick methods that you hear on the internet that are probably not true but I know stress is always one that people say impacts your immune system so how is that tied in to the stress conversation as well
1: yeah so um, this is one of the most exciting fields in psychology at the moment Um, there's lots of people jumping on this bandwagon known as psychoimmuniology So this is basically the study of how psychological processes, so how we think uh, influences basically our immune system. Um, Mm -hmm. and there's good evidence that this is the case. Um, so when somebody is stressed, the idea is that they basically activate their stress response, this deteriorates the immune system, and then this increases our risk of developing diseases. Okay. Um, but the body is actually really impressive and this isn't exactly what happens. So what really happens when we're feeling stressed is basically the immune system increases for a few minutes and then it returns to baseline um, and this will be normal. Okay. So basically when we're dealing with a stressor, we want to protect ourselves. So our immune system actually increases for a few minutes and then it goes back to baseline. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, again, like I've mentioned 500 times, when that stress is chronic, the immune system. Uh, is on higher alert. But the problem is, if the immune system stayed on high alert all of the time, this would expose us to uh, developing autoimmune diseases. So basically our immune system attacking itself. So it can't stay on all of the time. So what ends up happening then is as it goes up with the stressor and it tries to stay up, what ends up happening over time is it deteriorates rapidly. So it goes below baseline. And then this is what exposes us to getting sick because the immune system is basically trying to recover. And so particularly with COVID now, it could expose us more like in a general sense, it exposes us more to the cold and uh, like colds, flus and general sickness. But what it can do now is it can expose us more to COVID. um, Yeah.
0: And I mean, you you also said about autoimmune diseases. I mean, um, one of the big ones I often think of is um cancer being being a major, major um kind of disease that's around there. Is that caused as well? Is, is that tied into this kind of, you know, rapid increase of the immune system and then drop off and then it, it's the body reacting
1: against itself? You know, how is that tied into it? So more common autoimmune diseases would be like the type one diabetes I talked about, yeah, or in okay. some rare cases, maybe HIV. But uh, in relation to cancer, um, we could do so many podcasts on the research linking this because it's been looked at massively. But I'm just going to summarize it in one sentence. The research shows the stress doesn't cause cancer. Okay. Um. It, there's arguments obviously for and against always but I um after looking at the majority of the research uh, it doesn't cause cancer
0: okay well that's one kind of positive note to you know to take from it I suppose but I think um that's interesting so it's almost like your immune system goes on an extra high with all this stress and then to re rebalance itself it goes below it's almost like the you know, the drug highs where it gets really high and then every, every lift the next time has to go higher and higher to, to meet it. Um, that's quite interesting how, how that's all tied together. Hmm. And I mean, um, are there any other kind of particular, you know, autoimmune illnesses, simpler ones, other things I know people talk about, you know, getting spots when they're stressed or cold sores, things like that. That's often a, a quick and easy one. One that people, you know, I think a lot of people share when they're under stress in work or in life.
1: Yeah, Um. so pot, spots and cold sores are um, latent viruses, and these latent viruses are quite really, really impressive, actually. So basically, what these viruses do is they infect you, but when they're in your body, they actually remain dormant, so they don't do anything, and then they reactivate. Um, and a good example of this would be herpes, um, which is, of course, the common cold sore. Um, so they're actually really, really clever because what they do is they only reactivate when we're stressed and how they do this is they basically measure our levels of glucocorticoid, mm. So how stressed we are and then it does this other intelligent thing. So it basically reads our glucocorticoid levels and when our glucocorticoid levels go up, it basically attacks then. But even what's more intelligent is it then activates the hypothalamus to release that hormone CRH and then this increases uh, the glucocorticoids, so this is why your uh cold sore doesn't go away straight away it basically survives by activating a part of your brain to increase glucocorticoids, which basically makes it survive for longer um mm. and that is essentially why spots can sometimes not go away for a long period of time so uh the best advice um because i know loads of people will care about this in relation yeah. to cold sores and spots is uh you can spend loads of money on whatever cream or whatever you can but the best thing you can do is uh try and relieve your stress um because by because uh, stress is what stimulates these cold sores or these latent viruses
0: okay interesting like that's a practical one that i'm sure a lot of people would be um you know aware of obviously there's lots of different things that impact these but a lot of people are very you know have strong opinions and you know feelings about you know spots cold sores all those kind of very visual skin um conditions and there's so many creams and things to do, but something as simple as just try and address your stress, it could be a very easy and very effective one. But, uh, but yeah, it's quite clever how they sit there waiting for your stress levels to rise and therefore your immune system may- maybe to weaken just slightly. So then that's when they attack and show it. Like that's, it's crazy the intelligence behind something as simple as a spot or a cold sore. Like there's a lot going on behind the scenes. Mm. So all this stuff is fine in a short burst to help you respond to a certain situation, but given our current lifestyles, where we struggle to come down from those highs and give ourselves a moment to recover, um, we're not giving us our body a time to recover from that pressure and stress that they put themselves under. That what you're basically saying?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and then uh, one more point that's important too is that if your stress response or if your sympathetic nervous system is always on that means that your parasympathetic nervous system is going to be inactive. And the parasympathetic nervous system turns off the stress response. So as it becomes more and more inactive, so if you continue being stressed chronically for a long period of time, then your parasympathetic nervous system basically doesn't really know how to turn on. And as a result, the stress response can't be turned off, not only in your head, but also in your body. And this is what leads to heart disease and many of the other different disorders and health issues that we're going to talk about.
0: And those, and that's like heart disease, obviously, you know, you know, we're not saying that all heart disease is caused by stress. But what you're saying is in probably heart disease in people that might necessarily, might necessarily be healthy in certain circumstances, but are causing themselves undue pressure to their heart and to their cardiovascular system, not from their diet or other aspects, but actually from their dealing with stressful situations and managing their stress levels.
1: Yeah. Um, You've highlighted something incredibly important there in that stress never, ever causes anything. Um, It's not the cause behind anything, but it's not the cause of any certain death, for example. But what stress does is it increases the uh, it highly increases the risk of you developing um, health issues um, such as Mm. cardiovascular disease. Um, so it's not that stress is the be-all and end-all, it's not if I cancel out stress out of my life, everything will be okay, it just reduces, it makes you a healthier person, essentially. So being
0: stressed on top of not having a good diet and not living a healthy lifestyle is only going to exasperate the risks that you have of being, of uh, probably, you know, you might be underlying conditions that may lead to something and stress could be the trigger that sends you over the edge into one of these kind of illnesses. So it's actually something you know people should address and not
1: just you know yeah 100 percent um but i think it's worth noting as well um is that us as a society don't deal with stress well um like and i think that can actually be demonstrated through um heart disease um one interesting point i want to make uh last point is that there's this really weird thing that's happening basically that's like Even if I just ask you, who do you think, um, do you think males or females have higher rates of cardiovascular disease? I would say males. Yes, you're exactly right. Um, Women are on average 10 years older than men when they're likely to get a heart attack as well. Mm. But what's very, very interesting is that it's falling quite rapidly for males, the rate of cardiovascular disease, but it's massively increasing for women. Um... They don't know why this is. Now, they have theorized that it was different lifestyles, like for example, men were more likely to work and be the breadwinners, but there's been research done on this and it's wrong. That's not it has no it has no influence on it. Um uh, what are you talking
0: now the re are you saying that has no influence on the dropping? rate or has no influence on the fact that men have more cardiovascular disease you see
1: women are working more now uh, uh, are the equivalent to men now um they're li- they're living similar lifestyles and so yeah it's still that's not the factor they've looked at it that's not the factor that's making the so lifestyles difference.
0: clearly is now not a uh, lifestyles clearly can't be used as a potential cause because now we're on par in relation to that or in l-
1: well, that one specific lifestyle of basically like working working, um, and obviously um, having a household and trying to work at the same time. Interesting. But, Interesting.
0: I wonder, is it the fact that women are slightly, well, obviously it's increasing for women. So maybe this is completely false as well. But I would have said, if you were to ask me, I would have said, before you explained that it was dropping for men and increasing for women, I probably would have said that it's, you know, men are probably not as good at managing stress levels and maybe lose their stress more. And that can come back to the whole constant conversation around men and managing their mental health. Again, a a, a serious area that needs addressing. Maybe men are less better at dealing and managing with stress and recovering and kicking off that parasympathetic nervous system.
1: Yeah, I'd say like, obviously that's a fact. Again, it's just, there's definitely so many factors. Uh, Biologically, the big thing um, in like the 1990s was estrogen. So women... As I mentioned, uh, their chances of getting a heart attack uh, increases massively when they go into menopause. Okay. Because estrogen, which is their like sexual reproduction, uh, sexual reproductive hormone, when estrogen is released, this reduces their chances of getting cardiovascular disease. And people start getting really excited, particularly the drug companies, because their plan then was to start selling estrogen. But then there was this huge study done by Women's Health Initiative, and they were testing the benefits of estrogen and progestin. So progestin basically prevents ovulation during pregnancy. So they were testing injections um, and it actually had to be cancelled halfway through this study because it was actually turning out that estrogen and progestin was actually causing uh, or like increasing the risk of cardiovascular disease and stroke. Wow. Um, and to this day, they still don't know why, like, the, the immediate explanation to why this could have been happening was because it wasn't just oestrogen, it was oestrogen and progestin, but it can't stop it already happening and then trying to prevent it afterwards, Yeah, if that makes sense, which I think is like the most likely explanation. But they haven't, what, and,
0: uh, and back uh, to that, they still haven't found a conclusive answer as to why... Me, uh, tradi- uh, traditionally, men's cardiovascular illnesses were higher in men than women, but are now starting to reduce for men and increase for women. They still haven't come to a
1: conclusion on that, have they? But they, well, they won't like it. It something like that's so difficult to measure because it's always constantly okay. changing. You know, um, like the the statistics on it and stuff. So like, it's very very difficult to measure something that's changing as you're trying to measure yeah. it. For example, and
0: li- and li- and like and like. And like we, like we said, well, obviously, you know, from the you know, medical and biological field, you know, we're not experts on that aspect of it. But if stress is considered a key triggering factor for cardiovascular illnesses, we've already mentioned how stress is an experience that was formed in our ancestors in a world that was completely different. So being able to figure out how stress can cause cardiovascular diseases today is very difficult because the external situations that are causing that stress are changing so much that a kid growing up today might experience completely different life and situations than their parents that could cause stress that was otherwise unaware of because, you know, you know, their experiences that their parents never went through. So it would never have been considered a cause of stress before.
1: Mm, Um... I want to but I won't Um, That perfectly brings us on to our next topic About how stress can essentially be passed down During pregnancy and why Stress during pregnancy is so important And the development of stress in a fetus Wow um, But I think we will hold off there Because that's way too much H- I was about to say
0: Hold that thought on that excellent cliffhanger Stay tuned um, But yeah no I, th- I think that's fascinating And I think um, Understanding the understanding the process of how stress goes through the body first, how it kicks off a biological reaction in the body, Um, but then also understanding, you know, particularly for the cardiovascular area, what those reactions are, understanding how they're relevant for that stressful situation, but then how when they're prolonged, they can cause cardiovascular disease and sometimes obviously in the worst cases death. Um, it's interesting to realize then the importance of that stress management and mindfulness and giving yourself that opportunity to relax and recover in between those situations, I think, is, is, is something that people wouldn't have otherwise yeah, known about. Exactly.
1: Um, and yeah, um, so I think we should probably announce then like this is going to be the start of we're going to discuss how stress influences essentially all uh, all aspects of our health how it can affect our sexual reproduction or our sex lives for example and yeah. most importantly we're obviously going to finish on how it can influence our mental health um, but exactly. other than that Owen I think we will leave it there
0: I think so I think um, given the year that we've near or almost a year that we've all had uh, with COVID and everything else I think stress is a deeply fascinating and interesting topic that I think everyone's trying to get better at managing so uh, I think it will be a very interesting couple of episodes to kind of dive into that. So, um, yeah, I think that's everything for today. Any of the links and any of the kind of research and topics that we've mentioned, as always, will be mentioned and will be uh, kind of copied in the show notes for you to kind of follow up on. And uh, if you have any questions on stress or anything else, feel free to shoot us a message on uh, social media or anything. Um, We're always here to kind of help answer those questions as well. So that's all for me. That's all from Christy, and uh, I think uh, we'll come back to you in a couple of weeks with uh, episode two on stress. And as always, mind yourselves.